Hi, this is Fee Waybill of The Tubes. And you're listening to the New Wave Music Podcast. Today we have the pleasure and honor to be joined by Jack Hughes from the legendary band behind such hits as To Live and Die in L.A. Dance Hall Days. When I... And everybody have fun tonight. Of course, I'm talking about Wang Chung. Jack, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Pleasure, Steve. All right, Jack. So I just got to get the, the, the most obvious question out of the way. And I'm sure you've been asked it a hundred times and I apologize for making a question 101 times asked, but how did you come up with the name Wang Chung? Um, well, as you, have you ever been in a band? Have you ever tried sitting there thinking about a name for your band? So it's pretty difficult. And um, I was reading a book. This is way back in 1980, I suppose, something like that. Uh, a book on Karl Heinz Stockhausen. German electronic avant-garde composer. And one of the footnotes in the book was about uh, Huang Chung, H-U-A-N-G-C-H-U-N-G, which translates in Chinese as yellow bell. And um, I didn't realize this at the time. When I saw it written down, it just made me laugh and made me think about, it sounded like a guitar, you know. Uh, but when I looked into it, uh, the actual meaning yellow bell, uh, the yellow bell is this thing, a bell that rings at the center of the universe and creates um, billions of vibrations and our reality is one of those vibrations and the job of music is to harmonize with it and I thought well, that sounds pretty cool so I mentioned it to Nick and he was intrigued and uh, yeah we just we just sort of went for it uh, came to sort of regret it in some ways because this question opens every interview but but that's what Wang Chun means. Now, Wing Chung or the band, you guys have been featured in some amazing soundtracks from, and such songs from Fire in the Twilight, from The Breakfast Club. He's burning, burning in the twilight. He's turning, turning to face us. To Hypnotized from Inner Space. And of course, the To Live and Die in L.A. soundtrack. Do you enjoy writing for a soundtrack versus an album? 
Yeah, it's something I always wanted to do. You know, um, we'd basically done a couple of albums, you know, purely music albums. Uh, so Dance for Days was on the first of our Geffen albums. So initially we were signed to Arista in London and we did an album called Huang Chung, where the name was spelled slightly differently, H-U-A-N-G. And then we left Arista and uh, signed to Geffen in Los Angeles. Um, David Geffen himself actually advised us to, because uh, we wanted to change the name at that point, but he said, no, keep the name because it's cool, but change the spelling so that people can say it. So we did that, you know. And uh, we we did an album for Geffen with Dance All Days on it, Don't Let Go, Don't Be My Enemy, all those, those hits. Uh, and we were sort of working on a, a second follow-up album for Geffen uh, and struggling with it, quite honestly. And, uh, and we got a call from Bill Freakin, who was the director of To Live and Die in LA. He'd also directed The Exorcist and The French Connection. So he was a you know, well-known, very powerful guy, brilliant director in my opinion, and many people's opinions, in fact. He wanted us to do the entire soundtrack, you know, not just the song. And this is something that I'd wanted to do, you know. I, I went to a music college, although I didn't grow up listening to the classical music exactly, because I was listening to the Beatles and the Cream, Hendrix, all those sort of bands, you know. But when I got to the age of 18, I wanted to go to university. And so I decided to study music. And in those days, studying music meant studying classical music, really, rather than you couldn't do jazz courses at, at that time. Uh, and so I got a taste for music that took a bit more time than your average pop song, you know. So writing a movie score was the obvious way of combining those two sort of interests in a way. So yeah, it is something that I'd always wanted to do. And, and that the To Live and Die in LA soundtrack is just iconic. And it's, it's how I actually was introduced to Wing Chun. Yeah, a lot of people get to us through through that soundtrack, which is interesting because at the time it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was exactly a flop, um, you know, for the band. But I think in those days, music soundtracks and pop albums were very different parts of the music business, you know. And Geffen, I don't think, really knew how to sell it. You know, they had this the song To Live and Die in LA, which was a sort of mid-tempo sort of rock thing. You know, it wasn't top 40, basically, you know. So um, given that radio stations and record companies even then were kind of obsessed with formats <laughs> they they found it <laughs> market you know so um yeah but over time it's definitely become our most popular album it's probably sold as much or more maybe than the other albums and uh yeah it, it still cuts a lot of ice with people um how do you feel about wing chung being such an iconic band of the 80s well great <laughs> <laughs> We wouldn't feel great about it. Um, it's, uh, it's it's a surprise in some ways um, um, because at the time I think you know we were not a sort of I mean we we obviously you know but I think we were always a little left of centre uh, maybe apart from everybody have fun tonight which is right down the middle <laughs> um, but um, yeah I think I think some people uh, found the music a little. Uh, not difficult exactly, but complex or whatever. I don't know how people found it. But anyway, we were sort of, as I say, just uh, off-centre. But now uh, it seems like the waters of time have kind of closed over all those nuances that were present back in the 80s. And now we're seen as this, uh, as you say, an iconic 80s band. And uh, I'm I'm more than happy to to accept that. And and Wayne Chung has been a staple on the Lost 80s live tour. And And in fact, in my opinion, probably the highlight of the tour uh, you can clearly tell that you and Nick still enjoy playing together live, interacting with the crowd. It comes across great. You have great chemistry with the crowd. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer playing these type of bigger type tours or do you play prefer to play more on your own or more kind of smaller venues? Well, I'm, I'm doing both, you know, um, 
uh, I guess we started doing the, the 80s retro things in around about 2010, 11, something like that. And Lost 80s we've been doing since 2014 or something like that, maybe a little earlier. Uh, I stepped away from it for a while for sort of various personal reasons. and uh, But Nick continued doing it uh, with a sort of Jack Hughes substitute. Um which was all, which was all good, you know. Um, but I, I came back to it this year. I guess you know I had the pandemic <laughs> to sort of have a think about things mm-hmm. a bit, and and also I made two solo albums during the pandemic, and um, yeah, I think I, I needed to sort of get a lot of stuff out of my system, probably. And um, you know, much as it's great to be doing the '80s retro thing, uh, obviously as an artist, one's always moving forward and creating new stuff. So I, I wanted to do a bit of that for a while and focus on on myself. <laughs> really you know not just musically but personally i think um but i'm back into it this year and really enjoying it actually and uh i appreciate what you're saying about the chemistry between me and nick and and the us and the audience i think it is strong and uh and probably stronger for having had a bit of time out and um you know concentrating on my playing and my singing and being able to do that again you know my co-host t-bone had a question let's go as one of his favorite songs Nick has been singing vocals on that on stage. Was he also doing the vocals on the album or is that you on the album? Uh, I sing the verses, but, but Nick sings the choruses. Yeah. And it was a song that Nick wrote, you know, it's uh, close to his heart. So uh, he, he sort of takes the sort of center stage on that really. And then when we recently saw you this year, uh, we were actually at the first, first tour of the, or the first show of the tour in Salt Lake. You guys, you guys added the song rent free. from your album tasered up it was great to start hearing some songs off that album yeah do you have any favorite deep tracks that you enjoy playing yeah i mean uh with the 80s the lost 80s thing we're limited to four max five songs usually um so we we, obviously the audience want to hear the hits so so we play them um but we did a show up in iowa at the state fair uh, in des moines and we did a 90 minute set there and played some deep cuts you know and one of the tracks i really enjoy playing was uh, i never want to love you in a half-hearted way which is a track from wang chung that very first arista album that we did a love that's fallen that makes no sense it's better than and um yeah that's a track that it's a song that still holds a lot of power i think it's uh i won't go into the musical reasons for that but it's got a strong kind of feel to it quite a bluesy feel to it um but back in those days i was very sort of interested in changing the harmony up you know so um for the musicians out there it sort of modulates to a kind of a distant key for the chorus it doesn't all stay in the same key and i I like though that transition it's got a sort of emotional kind of impact to it you know and then speaking of taser up that's the most recent wing chung album that one came out at I believe about 10 years ago, 2012. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In, in addition to rent free on that album, there's some other outstanding tracks, uh, in my opinion, that includes let's get along. Let's get along, baby, get along. Let's get along together. You gotta sing, sing along. Maybe get along. Let's get along, baby, get it on. City of Light. They're all reading a tetra 
Overwhelming feeling. Here comes that overwhelming feeling again. Here comes that dark and subtle wave. And my favorite kind of tongue-in-cheek song is Abducted by the 80s. We were abducted by the 80s. I never saw them coming. The Reaganomic tentacles were clutching at my How did that album come together? Uh, well, I guess Nick and I was, you know, we split the band up in around about 1990, I guess, uh, and really didn't sort of work together as a band, you know, although we were working together. You know, Nick worked for record labels uh, and in the sort of A&R department, and he used to call me up and say, I've got this band, do you fancy producing them and stuff? So we were seeing each other. But I think around 2005, six, there were some business things going on with Wang Chung, with our publishing and so on that brought us together more. And um, yeah, we, we, we did a bit of a tour in 2009, or maybe 10, I think it was 2009. And immediately I sort of thought, if we're going to be touring, we, we should have something to sell as well, you know. And Nick and I have both been writing songs. So, uh, yeah, we, we worked with a guy called Adam Wren. Adam was a producer who worked a lot with Left Field. And uh, he'd worked with us on the song Space Junk back in 97. So we spent, you know, a whole chunk of time with him basically working on these tracks and, and trying to get a sort of sense of, well, what would Wang Chung be like in the, well, as we were then in the noughties, you know. And um, so we were consciously trying to sort of craft the songs into a sort of 80s feel, which for me is kind of like drum machines and, and guitars and synths, you know, but particularly that drum machine guitar combination is an 80s thing, you know. Uh, so it's not entirely electronic, you know. And uh, and Taser Up is really the the, the, the summation of, of those kind of bits of thinking, you know. Now, you also mentioned earlier that you do have a solo album, or in 2020, I think you came out, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was just one solo album, or was it yeah. two? Well, 2020, I released a double solo album called Primitive. 2019, actually, that was Primitive, I think. And then 2020, I, because of the pandemic, there was no touring and gigging to be had so i just kind of stayed home and made another album and uh, that's called electroacoustic works 2020 and um yeah i released that i guess beginning of last year 21 yeah okay yeah sorry 2020 kind of blurs for everything together and but off of the i really enjoyed your tracks uh, look of love Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Primitive was an interesting 
project for me in that I sort of gave myself free reign <laughs> to express however I wanted to do it. You know, so you know, winter is a kind of eight, nine minute sort yeah. of order. And um, yeah, I, I was definitely trying to write songs in what I would call like a linear fashion so that rather than the conventional way of thinking, you know, like a sort of verse, chorus, maybe a bridge and stuff like that, I would sort of create the, the feel of the song and then just keep trying to extend it without necessarily repeating things, you know. And um, that's the sort of technique I was really interested in from some classical composers like um, Debussy uh, writes a lot of his music like that. You know, he does, he never really goes back and repeats ideas. He keeps moving forward all the time. And, and because of like small cells that come around, you know, he takes an idea, repeats it, and then moves on, takes an idea, repeats it, moves on again. And I was trying to do that with, with Winter so that it's constantly developing, you know, and, and moving on forward all the time. I'm definitely, after this interview, I'm going to check out your most recent album, the Electroacoustic Works. Is there yeah. any tracks that you'd recommend off of that one? That's an interesting sort of mix. You know, I'm, I always have a problem with um, people talking about music in genres. You know, uh, I appreciate that you're not doing that. And, um, but, uh, you know, I'm really into, you know, for me, music is music, you know. So uh, Electroacoustic Works has some tracks with uh, where trumpet takes the sort of front position, as it were, rather than my vocals. And, and I think some people find that kind of, oh, well, that's jazz. <laughs> and uh, whereas I sort of think, well, it, sort of is but uh but it's the same it's the same person writing it you know so um so in in that sense uh yeah some of the trumpet the tracks on uh electroacoustic works are interesting uh i can't even remember what the track is called actually that, that is really led on that but essentially electroacoustic works is i modeled it a bit on pink floyd's metal album so the first side is like five six uh, separate songs and then the second side and i'm sort of thinking in terms of vinyl here so side two is like one long continuous track rather like echoes on uh, on metal you know and um yeah so yeah i think uh yeah trying to think of the, the tracks on the album that would stand out i know there's a friend of mine in canterbury who loves this track from the middle of the the long second side called invocation which is which is an unusual track i was sort of like using my vocals backwards and stuff and the sort of kind of experimental track in a way i'm looking forward to checking that out it sounds very interesting yeah yeah so one question we do like to ask bands on the podcast that have had a big hit with everybody have fun tonight uh is this a track that you grow tired of performing live not really you know um not really is that an ambivalent answer no i should say no i never tire of playing it and and i don't <laughs> In the sense that the audience reaction is always so strong to it, you know, people are getting so much out of it that uh, it, it's hard not to enjoy that. You know, if I was just sitting in a room playing it on my own, I might <laughs> grow tired of it, I suppose. But once you're with the audience, then you know, you just got to love it. Do you have a particular track that you enjoy performing live? Yeah, I always enjoy playing Danceful Days, actually, which is another song that you know, in any time you mention Wang Chung, that, that comes up. Yeah. Uh, but Danceful Days, again, is a song that has a good. L it's a good song, basically. It sort of has a bit of a life of its own. So when you're putting that out there, it's got a kind of energy to it that, uh, that again, is really, really positive. I also love To Live and Die in LA. You know, pl playing that, yeah, it's because of the mid-tempo thing, uh, people get drawn into it a bit more. You know, Dance for Days, everybody have found that like, kind of banging over the head, like hit songs do. But To Live and Die in LA is sort of more reflective, and, and it's nice to feel that kind of listening from the audience as well through that. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and I did notice you guys mixed up dance hall days. Uh, I think a week or two ago on the Lost Eighties tours, you had uh the the sax player from the English Beat. Looks like he joined you on stage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that he's going to do that. Uh, well, whenever the English Beat are on the bill, um, we'll get Matt up to play. It's really fantastic having a, a live sax player to to play the riff and also to take the solo at the end. You know, it's really fun. And then if I can just go back, going back to everybody have fun tonight, back in uh, 2020, it looks like you guys mixed it up a bit and you guys released a version. Everybody stay home tonight. How did that come to play? Is it something you guys came up with, decided to record it, get the jump before like Weird Al records it? <laughs> yeah, there, there was a bit of that. Uh, no, it's a friend of ours, uh, Greg, um, he, who does our sort of merchandising. And um, he was, uh, I think, just wanting to do something to help the sort of frontline workers. There was a charity called Direct Relief, I think it was called. And he just called me and Nick up and said, you know, how about just, you know, doing a version of, everybody have fun tonight stay change the words to everybody stay safe tonight is what he came up with you know so uh, so we did that and um you know i have the original well we actually did a re-record of everybody have fun tonight back in the mid 2000s uh and um so i, ha- I have those sort of original parts for that so i went back to that i think i replayed a couple of things maybe like the guitar part and i certainly re-sang the whole thing and i just really enjoyed doing that actually and uh, and then we got uh, some other people involved uh, valerie day was singing on it and um and also i got my wonderful little grandson raphael uh, to sort of kick it off there's a on the video he's sort of in the beginning and nick uh, has his kids as well sort of uh, performing in it so it was just a nice sort of way of involving the families a bit and that's you know if anything was good about the pandemic that's probably the wrong word but you know it allowed yeah. But I you know, spend a bit of time with our families and be home more, you know. And uh, so, you know, we just wanted to sort of express that, that those sort of feelings in, in that video as well. Awesome. That was a very nice, enjoyable uh, surprise to come out of 2020. Thank you. Now, yeah. currently on tour with The Lost 80s Live. I believe yeah. you guys are in uh, California through the end of August, right? That's it, yeah. So uh, Thursday, we're playing in Bakersfield, California. And then we go to Vegas on Friday. Uh, San Diego Saturday, um, and uh, we're playing the Greek Theatre in Los Angeles on Sunday. Nice, and you guys are playing, I believe, through like the first little bit of September? Yeah, we are. I think after that, we go up to Northern California. We're doing the Mountain Winery in, I think it's near Saratoga. Uh, There's another gig in California as well, which escapes me. And then we head to Florida for a couple of gigs. Tampa, and I think it's Pamplona Beach. I can never pronounce it. Pompano Beach. I can never remember how to pronounce it, but they have two gigs in Florida uh, around about the uh, 9th, 10th of September, I think. Now. But yeah, come and see us. You know, it is a fun show and the, and the bands are all sounding great. Yeah. And then once this tour wraps up, is there any, can we expect any, any new music soon from Wang Chung or any more solo albums? Yeah. I mean, or- I'm sort of working on things. I know Nick has a ton of songs that he wants to record and stuff. So I think uh, within the next, or it's hard to say how long it might take <laughs> to do another Wang Chang album, but maybe these days we might release uh, sort of two or three tracks or something at some point next year, some new stuff that'll be fun to do. Uh, and also we're working on our reissues, uh, which is to sort of re-release the, the, the six studio albums uh, in proper sort of like deluxe editions, properly remastered. We've, we've never really done that kind of remastering thing. And uh, so we were very close to getting 
and uh, the the first Arista album, Wang Chung, out this year. But uh, we got to the contract stage, and then some legal things came up regarding who actually owns what. <laughs> you know, so uh, we're still sort of discussing that. But I really hope to get Wang Chung points on the curve and to live and die in LA out as deluxe editions uh, during next year. You know, hopefully by the summer. So. I think that's probably the next big Wang Chung episode to look forward to. Oh, looking forward to that. And of course, uh, anytime you guys are back live is one I will never miss either your solo shows or a Wang Chung show. You guys do a great job live. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Jack, I want to thank you so much for joining us and taking some time out of your day to to stop by and chat with us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Wish you success on the tour and and with the new album and remasters coming out next year. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you.